Our Bible passage is from Psalm chapter 1. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seek of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does, he prospers. Whatever he does prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. All right, today um, we are very pleased to be able to welcome a guest speaker uh, to give the uh, word of the Lord today. Uh, one of the few uh, silver linings of COVID, as it were, um, is our ability to have um, a wide range and, and more frequent um, guest speakers join us uh, virtually um, without the limitation of having to travel here in person. Um, Reverend uh, David Bushman is, a, is the Baptist chaplain at Princeton University. And he's been involved in campus ministry there as well as in some other institutions for uh, now over 20 years. Uh, he's been a good friend of Pastor Daniel, um, our pastor, and a good uh, friend of our church as well. Um, so uh, please, let's welcome uh, Reverend David Bushman. Well, thank you. I appreciate you guys inviting me and including me in your uh, service today and having a chance to bring a message. I certainly am uh, very fond of your pastor. Uh, and as much as I like being able to join you here, I don't get to have a Levain's walnut chocolate chip cookie like I would have if I was in New York City right now. And so I, I miss some of the aspects of that. And I look forward to when that's a little easier uh, for that to be engaged with. But uh, I share a commitment to reaching young adults because of the campus world and, and, and just this idea of trying to really create uh, a passion for students to care about some of the things that just get lost in the shuffle in this world. Uh, and so I thought I'd use a text today, Psalm chapter one, uh, that really sets the table a lot of times for me and at the beginning of a school year. Uh, it's been a while since I had studied it and looked at it. So it was a lot of fun for me to get into it. It's a familiar text. I, hopefully you'll be able to uh, get pulled into it with me. What I will do is I want to walk through some of the words and the, the, just the details, the particulars of the text. So you can notice that and get your understanding and your head wrapped around what he's saying. And then I wanna do something very different in the sense of I wanna to appeal to the imagery and just sort of the overall thrust of what he's doing here. So I'll make a pretty significant shift or change in direction uh, near the end of my message. And we'll just look at this text from a completely different way uh, in an attempt, my attempt to try to meditate on a little different, a little different style. So the book of Psalms, you know, is a book of prayers. It's prayers that Jesus was very familiar with. We know for sure that from the cross, he prays Psalm 22, 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken? He also prays into your hands, I commit my spirit, which is a verse in Psalm 31. So Jesus had a, a very comfortable with the Psalms. He knows them well. They're part of his growing up. They're part of his spiritual vocabulary. And they were for the people of Israel. These are Psalms that were in there. And the first one and, and the last one are a bit different. They're almost like sort of intro psalms and sort of an exit culminating type psalm. So this in some ways is an intro psalm. And what you're going to have happen in here is there's a distinct fork. There's two paths. I use the words deepening and disintegrating, and you'll see why pretty clearly. Uh, but the idea is there's two very different directions we're going. 
One is the path of blessedness. One is the path of perishing or the opposite of blessedness. Blessedness is one of those words that it's hard to define. It has something to do with being right with God, being in favor with God, being aligned with God's purposes. When Jesus uses the word in the Beatitudes, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who are perfect. Jesus uses this a lot. And so we see this word here uh, in, in our psalm. So I want to just get into it and look at the first, the first verse, and then we'll pick through the verses. Uh, I will say that it's translated as man, but clearly we're talking woman, we're talking college student, we're talking child. This is an inclusive. Any person is blessed who pursues this direction, and person who doesn't is equally going to be uh, in a challenging situation. So let me start with this first one. Blessed is the person who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. And then he takes another jump or stands in the way of sinners. And it seems like there's a little bit farther movement in this next one or sit in the seat of mockers. I mean, you could just say, hey, blessed is the person who doesn't listen to bad stuff. <laughs> but, he, but he kind of lays it out in particulars for us. And, and there seems to be, a, a, I think, some steps along the way. There's this sense of walking in the counsel or the advice of people who just aren't oriented toward God. To me, I think in terms of Genesis chapter three, verse one, where the serpent all of a sudden decides to approach Adam and says, you know, about that tree, did, did God really, I mean, was that really part of how God wants you to think? No, that can't possibly be true. He knows that if you eat of that, it's going to be, it's going to be good for you, not bad for you. And so there's this counsel of the wicked that happens in the original sin. Somehow you start getting advice, you get counsel from someone who's not oriented anyway toward God. Then all of a sudden you see the next movement in our text is, or stands in the way of sinners. So we're not just walking in the direction of it now. Now we're sort of uh, positioned there a little bit more. I don't know if it means that we're lingering a little bit longer. We've certainly listened. We're starting to, we're starting to behave in the way or the path of sinners. We're starting to actually do the things that we've been thinking about doing before. And you're beginning to adopt a lifestyle here. I was trying to think biblically of who would be a good example. And from, I mean, there's many, unfortunately, there's a lot of biblical examples of this, but one that stood out to me was Samson. He has a special call on his life. He has unusual strength when he's operating in God's uh, power, but he also has a real weak spot for his, his relationship in this case with a young woman that he shouldn't have been interacting with. And before you know it, he's making one compromise after the other, and he's sort of making excuses. Or, you know, I didn't really tell her this, but I told her that. And, and it's just one of those, you, as an outsider, you watch it and you think, who are you kidding, Samson? Who are you? What are you doing? You're beginning to stand in a completely different direction than your whole life is supposed to be oriented. So there's a stand. There's a walking. There's a standing. And then it seems like there's a full-on sit-down in the seat of mockers. Some translations say scorners, uh, people who just seem to flout against anything related to God's counsel. But this is now a full-on, I'm comfortable, I've made myself at home here, I've settled in, I'm hanging out now in this land of sort of wickedness, sinful behavior, non-God-oriented stuff. I am very at home here now. I think your biblical example here is going to have to be someone like Lot, Abraham's relative, who at some point 
chooses things for himself. One thing leads to another. And then all of a sudden he has positioned himself right outside Sodom. And the scriptural texts say he's become an elder at the gate of Sodom. So Lot in this process just gets completely deceived, lost, so far removed from God's path. Uh, and so he sat down there. So what I want you to see is there's some kind of slope. There's some kind of movement. People who are blessed, who are wise toward God. And by the way, this doesn't have to do with how much money you make, what your degrees are, how good you look, what your natural connection. This has to do with some level of wisdom that transcends these physical categories. But he's saying, don't go in that direction. That is a problematic direction. It's an interesting way to start. You know, these are what a blessed person doesn't do. But that's how he starts. And so then the natural guess for me, as I would go to verse two, is I would think he would say, then what a good blessed person does is they would hang out with good people. But he actually doesn't do that. There's a little bit of a twist here. Now, it, it may be implied, but he actually goes farther and says, you're going to have to do more than just hang out with good people. You're actually going to have to relate directly with God and God's teachings personally. It's an interesting movement. I, don't know, I think it's an interesting little twist. And he throws the word delight. I don't know what you think about delighting, but when I think about things to delight in, I don't usually think about law. When I hear the word law, I don't usually think in terms of, yes, I delight in the law. You know, legal boilerplate, all the stipulations, law. But for him, it's God's ways. It's how God has revealed himself to the people how God wants them to behave in community, how God wants them to approach worship, how God wants them to properly interact with each other. And in a time, in the Old Testament time, when so many nations had gods everywhere, they're offering things to the rain god, they're offering things to fertility gods, they're offering things to harvest gods, to have their gods specify what God wants and how they're to properly relate to God was a wonderful blessing for them. They did not view the law of God, the teachings, and it's probably those first five books of the Old Testament, and, and really includes probably all of the teachings that, of God that will, you know, will encompass it one day. They viewed this as a gift. This was wonderful that God has showed us what God wants, and that we're able to relate well to God. And so they delight. This person delights in the law. And that's where I, you know, it's, that's what we're thinking about, isn't it, a little bit? Do you, do you delight in God's law? Do I delight in God? Am I just tolerating it? Oh, I'll do the bare minimum. Oh my gosh, I got to get through the law. Oh gosh, what do we not to do? I just don't want to bot. That's different than delighting in the law of God, isn't it? And the other word he throws in, which is worth saying something on, is this idea of meditates. He meditates or she meditates on it consistently. This happens to be probably the most graphic word in our text. Uh, it comes from the world of animal digestion. Um, I've been reading up on it because I wanted to be clear on how this process works. You may have heard the expression, chew the cud. What it means is that in certain animals, specifically cows, sheep and goats, deer and antelope, they're called ruminants. And they're called ruminants. And you'll notice that's a word we're going to get ruminate later. But what it means is they have multiple chambers in their stomach. They eat the grass. It goes into a chamber at some point digested some does not some comes back into one of their previous chambers and it has to rework it and others keeps moving through the process and so what what is going on here is that there's a re there's a chewing a digesting a regurgitating a chewing and i don't mean to be gross this is just this is straight animal biology this is how it works that body is in the process the, the animal's body is in the process of absorbing i mean how do you get grass 
into digestible food for a cow or a sheep. You know, they have to keep turning it over and the chemicals in their stomach work on it. And so they chew it. They work with it. They regurgitate part, they rechew it, and it goes back through. And so what, what he's saying is here, I want you guys to do that with the law of God. I want you to go over it. Think about it. The parts that don't make sense, you got to go back over those rascals again. The parts that do, wonderful, absorb them, get them all. But this is how you get the God's teaching, God's law, God's word into our thought stream, into our bloodstream, into our nutrient categories. You have to work on it a little bit. And there's something about being willing to think consistently or apply yourself to it that God honors. Just the random, oh, I hope it happens in my life. That's rare. It's usually thinking about it and trying to apply it and work it into our lives. So just a couple other verses on meditation that reinforce this elsewhere in scripture that I found helpful. One of them was in uh, Deuteronomy uh, chapter six. Deuteronomy chapter six. And this is one that comes right after the part about hero Israel, your Lord, or God is one. Love your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then the next verse says, these commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts, upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. And what I like about this one is it's a group experience. It's not just meditative. There's a sense in which we're going over these things with our family, with our friends. We're revisiting them. We're just keeping them in the forefront of what we do. Joshua says it this way, or God says this to Joshua. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate. There's our word. Chew on it. Work it. Work it. Work it. Work it. Day and night so that you may be careful to do. And so he makes sure this isn't just for thinking's purpose. This is to do everything written in it. And a version of it, although it doesn't use the word meditate, would be in Philippians 4, where Paul's writing to this church. And he says, brothers and sisters, whatever's true, whatever's no, whatever's right. If it's pure, lovely, excellent, admirable, praise. We need you to be thinking about stuff like that. <laughs> Go over it. Notice the beauty in this world. Notice the things that people are doing well. Notice the breakthroughs. Get, get excited about God's law and other things that God's doing in this world. I just think it's a good reminder to just aim your brain in the direction of things that are wholesome and healthy. And this is hard to do, friends. This is not easy. It's one of the reasons why through the history of the church, there's been lots of approaches for how do we, how do, we do this? Some people memorize text. Excellent. Works very well. Some people sing them or chant them. In some traditions, they just, the Psalms are pretty much just sung and chanted. Again, trying to get them in the brain thinking of an individual. Some people write them out. I've found that to be useful sometimes just to write out. To, it sounds a little rote, but I mean, it, it has a way of causing me to notice words and to pay attention to what's actually being said in there. And sometimes we use pictures and illustrations, and that will happen here in a few minutes for us. We'll, we'll try that direction there. And so then the overall image that we get from this is the person who doesn't walk, doesn't stand, doesn't sit, who is delighting and who's meditating is a tree planted by streams of water. I don't know what kind of tree. Uh, it's an interesting thing to have fruit and leaves, and I don't know how all this works, but I do know that this is a tree that's solid. It's not rotting. It's a prosperous tree. It's a tree that has leaves that seem to have enough nutrition to hang in there. And they're just, there's just a life-givingness to this tree. It doesn't fully say this in there, but you get the impression that this was a tree that people could hang out under. You know, there could be shade for other people. Animals could hang out as well. There could be soil erosion prevention from this tree. You know, there could be 
you know, photosynthesis when the leaves happen. This tree is helpful, not just to the tree, but to the whole community that's around it. So there's your image. And we'll, we'll come back to this image in a, in, a, in a minute. But I wanted just to see that's his dominant image for the good person. And then we take a big turn in our text and says, oh, but not so with the wicked. This would be one of those double negatives in the original language. This would be as hard as he could say it. Uh, it would almost be like me sort of shaking my head. No, 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 no. Or wagging my finger or maybe putting my hands on my hips and saying, I don't think so. You get the idea. He's, he's trying to come through strong with not going to be that way with the wicked. And the things he emphasizes here, and I'll be a little quicker here, are there's going to be a time when the wicked are not going to be able to stand in the judgment. Those who have oriented themselves away from God and God's laws aren't going to make out well in the judgment. There's something future that's going to be really a loss for them. And he even seems to add to it, nor sinners, again, the wicked, the sinners, this collection of people oriented away from God, in the congregation or the assembly of the righteous, that maybe even now they're beginning to remove themselves from that. Con Somehow they're being pulled away from the communities that are oriented toward, toward God. And, and what he wants you to hear is don't be fooled into thinking that your attitudes toward God, your actions toward God don't matter. Don't lose count. God is able to manage and navigate all these things. And so then he has a wrap-up verse. His wrap-up verse, which is a recap, uh, the sixth verse essentially is in there. It says, the Lord watches over or keeps the way of the righteous. The Lord knows the way of the righteous. But just like he said again in the, you know, the other part of it, the way the wicked are going to perish. And so you start with blessedness, you end with perishing, you have a Lord really involved with one, you have other people separating themselves from the Lord. Uh, and so that's our text. I want to just offer a few little conclusions or, I mean, just, I guess, preliminary thoughts as I grapple with it, as I try to meditate, and then we'll go to some pictures and try to do something really different with our text. I often think, you know, what is the age that this psalm is most applicable? Is this the one that young people really need to learn? Or is this really true for older people more? I mean, how long does this take to play out? Is this over in like a year or two? Does this take three years? It, it's hard to know. It is amazing how quickly I will watch young adults every year make amazing progress with the Lord in just a short time period, almost so fast that they, they pass up sometimes Christians who've been hanging around just playing around with it a little bit. But I'll also watch individuals who make a major steps backwards. I I'm, I'm tend to be convinced that you can make a lot of ground up with the Lord in a hurry if you're serious about it. And you can also kind of get off course pretty fast. <laughs> I have one friend that says, we're all about three bad choices from being in jail. And that's his kind of slang way of saying, it doesn't take much. You know, it doesn't take long for me to kind of lose my way, get out of whack, make a bad choice. And next thing you know, I'm doing things I never intended uh, to do. And so is this true? Is Psalm 1 true in the amazing city of New York, where it's all wonderful and everyone wants to live there and it's fantastic career opportunities and it's just the land of rainbows and lollipops and puppies and all. And, you know, I could say this about my university, Princeton. And of course, you'd want to say it about, you know, Columbia and why others. But is it all just awesomeness all the time? Actually, it's not. I mean, it can be. There's people making progress toward the Lord in these places. But it's also possible that there's people who are really losing some ground in their walk with the Lord. Uh, and so that's where I just really challenge you as a church and as a person, think about how are we, are we helping folks get excited about God's law? Are we helping them meditate? Are we helping them get closer to some of these things? One of my, uh, uh, one of the thoughts that I've found helpful in dealing with students is, and it comes from, uh, Howard Thurman, who was a chapel at Howard university for many years. He, he had this little 
Max, somewhere he said, there's two questions you got to answer if you're a young adult. He was talking to young adult university students. There's two questions you got to answer. Where am I going? And then the second question is, who's going to go with me? And he said, you really need to ask those in that order. Because you get into major problems if you ask the who's going to go with me or who's around me? Who am I going to go with? And then you find out where they're going. That is a serious problem. You need to get the where am I going? And then who's also headed in that direction? Who can go with me in that kind of direction, which would be the idea of not walking in the council, but really finding people who are reinforcing and doing some things in that direction. So those would just be some of my own little reactions to the text. I also sometimes wonder if there, you know, is it really just two categories? Really? Is it, God, is it just two categories? It seems like there could be like a wicked-ish category. I mean, they don't mean to be that bad, but they're just kind of stumbling. There's like a naive category for people who are well-meaning, but don't really, I don't know. They just haven't really thought through stuff yet. And, and, and I don't know. There, there may be, I mean, I find myself as a, you know, sort of a critical person wanting to sub, put subcategories underneath these, the blessed ones and the wicked's, but but the text seems to be pretty clear on you're moving in the direction of God and God's laws and God's ways. Or you're beginning to separate yourself and you're beginning to distance yourself from that. Now, let me try something with pictures. There's two dominant images in our text. There's one image of a tree and, there's, and then there's an image of, of the wicked with the chaff. So I said, what would it look like if I began to find, try to find some trees that I think, I mean, now this might not be good for you. If you have a better image in your head, well, then find your own. I think that's great. But I just wanted to try to put some visual thoughts on this for me because he is painting a picture that we have in our heads. Here's one picture I found that I liked about a tree that was planted by streams of water. And I'm going to show you three. And I'll tell you why I picked various ones. So when you read this text, what he's saying is, that the person who delights in God's law and meditates on it is like, and I like, I just think it's a pretty tree at some level. It looks sharp. It's lush. It's near a river or stream. I mean, it has all kinds of nutrients. The roots are just dominant in here. I love the roots on this tree. It's like, this is a rooted tree that can provide shade for, you know, I guess even the fish in the, in the river there. But I'm like, that is just a rooted, strong tree. Here's another one that I took a look at. Different kind of tree, different setting, but you can see the shade. You can see the fact that I'm sure, uh, you know, a dog or an antelope or whatever lives in this uh, climate would, would enjoy being underneath that. It must have a way to get down to the water source below. I liked this one when I was thinking about it because it doesn't have a lot of support from other tree. I mean, this tree seems like it's it's kind of battling on its own out there a little bit. It must be a harsh climate. I don't know, but it seems a little more solo. And, and then that's useful for some of us in some settings of our lives. I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to be a tree planted where I don't have a lot of other support for a little season of my life here. This is going to be a challenging time. I'm the only one on my team or I'm the only one in my area that even seems to care about some of these ethical principles. But that, that's just one. I don't, I don't know if you're drawn to that or not. And I picked the third one. This would be a picture of trees that are planted. And this third picture isn't nearly as impressive, but I like it. I guess one of the things that I was drawn to as I thought about it was, 
it's not by itself. This one's in community with, I mean, there's, there's, I just, that's not the, I'm not the only tree that can grow. I can grow alongside other people. There's almost sort of that body of Christ concept in some ways in my mind, as I'm looking at it, there's several trees. Here. There's a lot of stuff growing by this stream. It's not just me. I can be a part of other networks of things that are growing and strong in our area, but it's also not the most impressive looking tree. It's just a regular tree, but it's a healthy tree. And it's a tree that has leaves and it's, it appears to be evergreen to me, so it may be one of those that really doesn't have a leaf withering. I wasn't able to capture the fruit concept in my pictures, but those were a few. Isn't it different when you look at the text sort of visually? What is the thrust of this text? Be a solid tree. Be rooted. Be willing to, you know, even in harsh climate, hang in there. Connect with other people. Just be you. You don't have to be something. Just, just do the tree thing who delights in God's law. Now, there's a second image, and I want to spend a few seconds here, too. This is an altogether different image. This is the negative image. This is the image of the wicked. This is the image of chaff. And so in the Palestinian world, the way that they sort of harvested wheat or corn or whatever is that there were two methods that you could use. Either animals would tamp it down in sort of a filtering approach, or they would just get it all on the ground, and then they would throw it up in the air like these guys are doing, and the healthy, precious, valuable grain would fall to the ground. It was heavier. And the wind on these hills, a lot of these Palestinian hills, the wind would blow the chaff away. So it was a natural way of sifting. We throw it up, the heavy we want comes down, the rest of it flies out, just discards out. The other way that they did it was some kind of filtering mechanism, which is this second picture, some kind of basket, the same, same principle, you're getting the valuable stuff in the basket or you're having animals tamp something down and then you're throwing it around. But both of them remind you that there is one aspect of this crop that is just useless. I mean, it just needs to be gone. It's not part of what we want to keep. This is just filtered out. It's blown away. It's gone. And, and the psalmist, or God through the psalmist, is telling us, don't, don't be just useless chaff. Don't be the discarded stuff that's not going to matter. Don't, don't do that. And that sounds harsh, but there is something we need to think about, friends, in there that I really want to be connected with the stuff that matters. And so here's another picture. That's the actual process of doing it. <coughs> this was one where I was just trying to find something that was just discard. Rubbish. This is obviously a city picture, bridge going into somewhere. And there's just lost bits and fragments of stuff that are just gone, irrelevant. They're just blown. Who knows where they're going to just to use another scriptural illustration. They're tossed back and forth in that one. It talks about like the waves of the sea. But here it's blown apart. And here's my fourth one. This was a dandelion. But again, it's just gone. It's just discarded. It's just out. It's just no substance, no consequentialness. It's just ugh, ugh. And there's something about looking at these texts from sort of a gut level, you know, an overall level. You're like, I want to be a tree. God, with your help and your law's help and my meditation, help me to be a tree. Help me to be solid. Help me to be a blessing. To Help me to know how to give shade. Help me to know how to prevent a road. Help me to have something to offer with your help. Versus, and I just don't want to be just a frivolous fragment that's... It's just off. That's gone. You got to be careful. I'm not, everyone's made an image of God. I'm not trying to say something, but, but do you get my point? As far as the value of your contributions, it seems like there's a way to just be chaffed, to be, to be lost along the way. 
And we all struggle with this idea because we have sinful tendencies and we need to kind of run them back through the cross and all. My other one, I didn't find pictures for because I didn't want to overwhelm you. But my other one was, what would you do if you had to write this first? Tree, chaff. Maybe you pick tree. Tree's nice. We like tree. What else would you pick if you had done the chaff? One? Here's a few I had. I don't have pictures for them, but I just throw them out as ideas. We had a huge invasion of cicadas recently in our area in New Jersey. And I said, one of the ways to look at it would be like a cicada husk. Husk. These, these husks of these, these locust type animals, they're everywhere around our area for most of the month of May and June. And I was like, not so with the wicked. They're like the cicada husks that are just gone. Or, or maybe you think of it as a, like sidewalk chalk. You know, you have these beautiful things in art galleries that are going to be there for hundreds upon hundreds of years. And then you have this little sidewalk chalk stuff that's out there. And you're like, that's just going to be gone. The first, the first little rain or bucket of water, it's out. It's got no staying power. Or maybe instead of chaff, you go with, it's like unread spam. I mean, I got significant con communications that are happening with me today. But there's a whole collection of spam that I want. And some of it, I don't even, it is not even worth opening. I can't even click. I mean, it's just gone. Yesterday, I saw a pile of cardboard boxes from pizza, all the pizza boxes. And I thought, ah, not so with the wicked. They're like the discarded pizza boxes that are just piled all over the place. You get my point. I think it's worth thinking about these things sometimes. How do we stay solid? How do we allow God to make us solid is a better way to phrase that. Is this an encouraging text to you? Or is this a discouraging text to you? I, I think he means for it to be encouraging. I mean, I, I mean, obviously it depends on which direction you're moving. If you're moving in a direction that's pretty, you know, not oriented toward God or God's laws or God's ways, ooh, it's, a, it's a great time to reboot a little bit and think, let me, let me, let me, turn, let me turn back toward, toward God. But if you're heading in that direction, it has a way of saying, you know, don't, don't God, God knows what he's doing. He can, he can work this out. He's growing roots in your life. He can plant some things. He's generate, trust God to do what God does through his work of his spirit and his law. I hope it encourages you. And I think it actually points us to Jesus. It was Psalms. It was Old Testament. Jesus had not been around yet. But in some ways, I think it does point us to Jesus because it shows our need for someone to forgive us when we do wrong with things. But Jesus also told a parable that had a lot of similarities to this. He said, there's two paths. There's one with a really wide gate, and it is a broad road that leads to destruction, chaftum, <laughs> perishing. And he says, there's also, this is Matthew 7, 13, 14. There's also a path that has a narrow gate, I mean, a, a small gate and a narrow road that leads to life. And then later Jesus will say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I, I am the, I'm the one that's going to get you moving in, in that direction. And other times Jesus will say, you're thirsty, you need drink. If you want streams of living water, you're going to have to come to me. I'm the one who gives the streams of living Or he says, I'm the vine. You are the branch. Again, Jesus picking up on these agricultural picks that sound a whole lot like he's saying, I'm the fulfillment of Psalm 1. I am the one who can make Psalm 1 happen uh, in your life. So I do think it can point us to Jesus. I guess by way of of, of finishing. I just want to challenge you guys. It is, it is a difficult world to keep staying on point. And it is so easy to think of excuses for all of us, me included of, oh, it's COVID. Well, how are you really going to pursue God during COVID? Oh, you know, it's another week doing that. Well, you know, I'm not feeling so. It's August. You know, it can get hot out in August. August is the time. Yeah. Oh, my kids are getting a little older. Oh, they're young. It's taking too much. 
there's a million ways where we can talk ourselves into walking in the counsel of the wicked, standing in paths that we know we don't need to be headed toward. And then, you know, just basically frittering our lives away as opposed to saying, all right, God, help me to delight. Help me to draw close. Help me to want to draw close. Help me to even have the want to God do that in my life. And so that's my prayer for you guys as a church. Before I pray, would you be willing to put those slides up for maybe like three seconds? each? just those pictures of the trees. And, the, and just for three or four seconds, just think about that picture as it comes up and what God might be saying to you. So just a few seconds with each picture. And then when after he rolls the last one of the chaff, I, I want to pray for us and then I'll be done today. Heavenly Father, I, I thank you that you're a God who wants us to be solid, that you want to help us as feeble, frail creatures to lock into some things that are eternal and solid through you. And I pray that we would be drawn to your word. And if we're one of those in one of those seasons of life where it's just we're just kind of tired of a board of it, give us a new interest in God, create an inclination for us to follow you and want to keep pursuing you. And if we're in one of those scenes where we're starting to cut corners and come up with excuses, God, pull us back, please, through the convicting work of your spirit. Help us to see that we really are going to need to stay close to you if there's going to be any substantial piece of our life. And if we're struggling, hanging in there, but we're hanging and we're just starting to get discouraged, Lord, remind us again that you keep your promises, that you desire to fortify us deep in the soul, that you want us to be rooted and I pray for Compass Fellowship as a church, Lord, that it would be a, a church that really takes your word seriously, as was prayed earlier, through the songs, through the prayers, through the preaching and the teaching, through the children's work, that it would be a place where people get rooted and that they're able to differentiate between the solid stuff in their lives and in this culture and in our schedules and then the things that just are a little bit more frivolous and we just don't need to give our best energies toward because they're just not headed toward you. So I pray that you'd help us with that, Jesus, and I thank you that you forgive us when we get this stuff wrong, and that that's a big part of the cross, is that you forgive people who get this wrong, and you allow us to turn back to you, and you allow us to pursue you and ask for new opportunities, and you're a merciful God who is great in compassion and slow to anger. I thank you for that part of your character, and I thank you for your word, and I thank you for this chance to engage with my friends today in this text. Thank you for Psalm 1. In your name we pray. Amen.